Well, I reckon one thing that we can all agree on, right, is that someone doing a good impression is pretty funny. I reckon they're pretty funny all the time. I'm not going to do one, right? But you've always got those videos on YouTube, and it's like, one guy, 10,000 impressions, four seconds, what will they be? You won't guess number seven, and you're like, what's number seven? And then he does, and be like, oh, they were okay, I guess. But I, th- I think impressions are pretty funny. I find them pretty funny. Or you might have your, your staple mate. So I had like a staple mate who, he was the impressions guy, who was pretty good. So you guys might have one of them, maybe. I reckon there's a couple impressions that are like the key impressions. If you're going to do a good impression, you need to do a couple. Chewbacca. All right, Chewbacca is one of those impressions. Does anyone do a good Chewbacca impersonation? Someone's got to do it. Shevins. Shevins, you've been dubbed in. You've been dubbed in. Give us a go. <laughs> oh, no. Um, Chewbacca doesn't speak English. That was a really bad impersonation. Anyone, come on. Someone, mine just sounds like I'm gargling water or something. I'm not good at rolling the R's. Like, grr, grr. That's pretty good, actually. I'm quite happy with that. I think Chewbacca is one of the staples. Mine isn't very good, right? But impersonating, doing imitation, stuff like that, that's why we dress up. That's why we have costume parties and stuff. So I've got a couple of photos. Here we go. Here's one. Do you know who that is? That's little Ben Shelley, dressed up as... Oh, everyone said, oh, dressed up like SpongeBob. That's nice. Next one. Who's that one? It's Ben again. <laughs> ben Lightyear. Love it. So good. What's the next one? Who are those? Dashing, dashing duo. Elliot and Nick, back in the day. I don't really know what you're dressed as, but I kind of like it. I think it's pretty cool. And the last one, my favourite. By far the grossest <laughs> imitation you will ever see, and I don't quite know what he's imitating. That's all right. I like it. We can get rid of those ones now. But all of those, right, they're just examples of dressing up to take the mickey, all right, have a bit of fun, have a bit of a joke. But in life, we actually do follow people, don't we? We do it. We do it all the time. We follow people's examples, whether it's our parents, our grandparents, our teachers, uh, some other leader, but we do follow people, whoever it might be. And and if we're following them, we'd really hope that they're setting a good example, right? Or else we're going to follow them and do a bad example. So here's an example, right? I've got a mate. He's um, he's got like a two or three-year-old kid. I don't really know. Kids' ages all look the same to me. Anyway, and my mate's kind of known. His kind of catchphrase is when he does something, he hurts himself. He goes, ah, dang it. That's his thing. He always does it, right? And so his little two-year-old walking around the other day, watching Paw Patrol. I don't know what he's doing, but he's doing something, and he falls over. Ah, dang it! (laughs) Straight up, and his wife just looked at him and was like, what have you done? Our kid is just like you. And so it matters who we follow. It matters who we follow, right? And so I think the question for us is, who should we follow? Who should we be like? Who should we follow? As a Christian, who should you look to imitate, impersonate, look like. Well, in this bit of the, of the letter to the Corinthians, Paul tells us, imitate him, right? We just saw it. Come check it out with me again. Kick off in verse 15. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. And here's where he says it. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. So Paul is trying to look after the Corinthians, and he goes, this is how I'm going to look after you best, is if you be like me. You want to honour Jesus with your life? You want to be more like him? Imitate me. Now, I don't know how you react to, react to that. What do you think Paul's thinking? But I think he can seem pretty up himself. 
And he doesn't just say it here. There's at least five places in the New Testament where Paul tells people, follow me, imitate me, copy me, do what I do. I reckon it seemed like he's a bit up himself. But here's where we're headed tonight. I'll give you what we're doing, right? We're going to do something a little bit different to what we usually do. If you're new with us or you're just kind of popping in, that's cool. We love having you. What we usually do is we just take a book of the Bible and we go through it. So we've been going through 1 Corinthians bit by bit, bit by bit. Tonight we're going to do something a bit different. We're going to jump around a fair bit. Because I want us to see what was Paul like. Throughout the New Testament, what was Paul like and what made him someone worthy to be followed? That's what we're going to be looking at, right? Who was he? What made him worthy to be followed? And here's why it matters. Here's why you should listen. If you're a Christian, if we can see what Paul was like, he tells us to imitate him, if we can see what he's like, you will honour Jesus better in your life if you copy him. You will be a better servant of Jesus if you can see what Paul is like and copy him. It's worth knowing, right? And if you're new with this, here's why you should listen too. Here's why you should listen. I think Christians cop a real bad rap and I think that's, that's right sometimes. Christians can be known for being judgmental, for not loving people. But what should they look like? Tonight, if we can see what Paul's like and he's telling us to copy him, you'll be able to see what does a Christian actually, what should they look like if they're doing it right? Does that make sense? You with me? Sounds good. Let's pray and we'll get into it. God, we want to thank you for speaking to us in your word. We thank you that we can open it and hear you speak right now. That's awesome. We thank you for that. And we pray that as we do that, you would help us to listen and help us to understand what you're saying. Amen. All right. Good stuff. Well, before we get into seeing exactly what Paul was like, I think the initial question that we kind of got to wrestle with is, what's the dig What's the dig deal? What's the big deal? What's the big deal with Paul? What is it about him that he can say, imitate me? Look at me if you want to do it good. What's the big deal? Here's the first thing we're going to see, right? To copy Paul is to copy Jesus. All right? Come with me to chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. A couple pages over. This is one of the other examples I was talking about where Paul tells people to, to follow him. Chapter 11, verse 1. This is what he says. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so when Paul's telling us to imitate him, he's not saying, like, Jesus is like this, right? And I'm like this instead, so you should follow me, not Jesus. He's not saying that. He's just saying, Jesus is like this. I'm copying Jesus. So if you copy me, you're copying Jesus, right? He's, he's, not, he's not different to Jesus. He's saying, copy me, and you'll be copying Jesus. It's good. And so in one sense, Paul's just another dude copying Jesus. In one sense, he's nothing special. But in another sense... He's a particular person who we can take a particular note of because he's one of the few that's been entrusted with the mysteries of God. You might remember that. We talked about it last week in chapter 4. He's one of the few chosen people for that job, an apostle, if you want to use the, the fancy word. And so he's a particularly good person to follow. He's just another guy to follow, but he's, pretty, he's a pretty good one. All I keep in mind, he's just following Jesus, right? It's like, it's like going on a school excursion. I used to love school excursions, mainly because it was any excuse to get out of school. And so whatever we were doing, I was all in. I'm like, sand dunes, I love sand dunes. I'm all in. Museums, oh, my favourite. I love all old things. Thank you very much for taking me here. I loved it, right? And whenever we went on an excursion, the teachers who would take you, they'd, they'd give us the pep talk. I don't know if you get the pep talk and they go, guys, you need to be responsible when we leave the school grounds, okay? So you need to behave well and you need to make sure your shirt's tucked in I went to private school, so I was like, no, you've got to wear your blazer, and you've got to wear all this, right? And so one of the big things they'd say is this all the time. Um, when we're out in the public, you're representing the school. 
You get, you get, you know. It's like some green point over here or something. It's like, oh, yeah, I know that, right? And so their point is, if someone out in the public should be able to look at you and see what your school's about. And so to represent your school well, you know, you should have your shirt tucked in and stuff, or you, should, you shouldn't run across the road. I don't know, right? But you should be a good example, a good representative. But what about, there's always the one kid. There's always the one kid who's just like, <laughs> all right. And just the back of the bus, they're just like sticking their finger up at the cars behind them. They're like, <laughs> then they turn around like, no, nothing missed, nothing missed. Or they just run across the road, they're doing crazy. I was probably that kid actually, now that I think about it, right? But at that point, they're not really representing the school, are they? At that point, they're just a really bad rep. They're just repping the school really, really badly. And so similarly, if, if Paul was to ever live differently to Jesus, then we shouldn't copy that. If Paul was to live bad, badly, different to Jesus, we shouldn't copy it. Because at that point, he's no longer a good representative. And Paul was sinful, right? He's a person. People are sinful. And so there would be times in his life, or there would be parts of his life where we shouldn't follow him. He got that. He got he was sinful. But largely, Paul was just a real good school excursion kid who most of the time is a really good person to follow if you want to follow Jesus. If you want to be like Jesus, it's a good idea to look at Paul as he lives that out. But he doesn't want you to just be like him. Paul always wants you to look further and to see what Jesus is like. That's why in Ephesians 5, he just straight up says, follow God's example. Skips out him. In Philippians 1, he says, have the same mindset as Jesus. Skips out him. That makes sense. Now we've got that under our belt. Let's look at Paul. Let's see what he was like. And the first thing we're going to see about Paul's life is that he got wrecked. A lot. (laughs) Paul got wrecked heaps. Start flicking to Acts. Acts chapter 9. It's a couple of books before where we are. The book of Acts gives us the history of how churches started after Jesus left, right? It sees people becoming Christians, and we see the epic spread of the gospel around the ancient world. And in it, we actually see where Paul becomes a Christian. It's pretty cool, right? He used to be known as Saul, uh, and he used to hate Christians. He was Jewish, the Jewish people hated the Christians at the time, and he went above and beyond to make sure that he would uh, make it a hard time for the Christians. And so, and, and the reason for that as well, for the Jews hating the Christians, the poor hating the Christians... Christians going around saying, Jesus is the chosen king. Jesus is God. He rose from the dead. And the Jews aren't having any of that. All right? They don't like that. They don't like the Christians. And so in chapter 7 of Acts, we see a guy called Stephen. He's been preaching the gospel, and he just gets killed by people throwing rocks at him. It's a terrible way to die, right? And in 8 verse 1, we get introduced to Paul. It's called Saul here. Here we go. 8 verse 3, we'll kick off in. Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. 8 verse 1, what do you think about Stephen getting killed? Saul approved of their killing him. Flick over to 9 verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Paul really hated Christians. He really hated them. And he hated them enough not just to dislike them or boo them or whatever, right? He hated them enough to throw them in jail, to have them killed consistently. But as he's on on a way to a different town to keep doing what he's doing, something crazy happens. Jump into 9 verse 3 with me. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. And what does Paul do? He 
he does just that. He gets up, heads into the city, ready to do whatever Jesus told him. Because at that moment, Saul becomes a Christian. He stops doing what he's doing. He realizes he was wrong and he becomes a Christian. He stops persecuting the people of Jesus. He becomes one of them. He stops persecuting and becomes a preacher. It's a massive change. And he changed so greatly that even the disciples of Jesus, when they heard that Paul wanted to come and hang out with them to preach the gospel, they're like, no, he's a bit of a creepy dude that kills people. We don't really want to be a part of that. They're super sketchy because his change was so massive. And he starts suffering for his decision straight away. Straight away. As he's preaching and telling people that Jesus is the Lord, verse 23, after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night, loaded him in a basket through the opening of the wall. And he got out of there, right? So that's one way to get out of a tricky situation, basket through the wall, all right? If you're needing that in maths... Biblical, you can use it, that's good, right? And so Paul now is one of the people, is, is a person that people are trying to kill because of what he believes. Such a weird swap. And here's just a quick tangent, right? If, if you're someone new with this, love that you're here. Um, this is an account of what happened to a real person in history. Paul's a real person in history and this thing happened. Something happened that made Paul change drastically. What? Why would someone do that? He was a wealthy, respected person at the top of his career, had everything he wanted. Why would he change? He gave it all away to be persecuted. And he knew he would be persecuted. This was straight after. Jesus told him he's going to be persecuted. The change is, he became convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the one thing that changed. What the Christians were saying was true, and what he initially thought was wrong. That's the change that happened. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you can throw out Christianity. You can get rid of it. It's all false, every bit. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, then everything that Christianity says is true. Jesus is who he says he was. And he owns you. He owns us. And we owe him. It all hangs on the resurrection. And and if there is a life after death, if the resurrection is legit, then what you do in this life matters. How you treat Jesus now matters. It all hangs on the resurrection. This, is, this account is just one small piece of evidence. Something big happened to Paul to make him change. He became convinced it was because of the resurrection. But back to Paul's life, right? He starts on this epic journey throughout the world, telling people about Jesus. He kept telling people that Jesus is their king, he's risen, he's alive, they need to follow him. So I've got a bit of a map here, right? Now, all those different lines, I don't know how well you can see them, right? But all of those lines are different journeys that Paul went on. So he didn't just stick around the city, he's going to new countries, he's going across the ocean, like he's going everywhere to tell people about Jesus. This isn't some wander list, bucket list thing of where he wants to travel, he got wrecked for it. Come back to, we're going to get two Corinthians now. You'll never guess, it's the book after one Corinthians, and before three, no, there's no three Corinthians, right? But this is a letter uh, that he wrote to the Corinthians after the one we've been looking at. So he's done that. And in this chunk, he's trying to show that he's a more legit apostle than some other dodgy dudes that they've been listening to. He's trying to, he's trying to show them that. So chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. He lists a bunch of stuff that happens as he's going on that journey. This is what he thinks about it. I've worked much harder. 
I've been imprisoned more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. That's just getting whipped. Um, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from all, um, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. See, Paul just got wrecked. Time and time, and time again. And he just kept on going. He just kept on doing it. I don't know if you guys know this. Who knows Roadrunner? Wiley Coyote and Roadrunner. Man, I feel really old right now. Well, I'll tell you about it, though. I'll tell you, it's Looney Tunes, right? I used to watch this heaps. There's a Roadrunner. He's a little animal. I don't really know what a Roadrunner is, right? And Coyote wanted to eat him because he wants to eat. And every episode would be Coyote, Wiley Coyote, right, trying to catch Roadrunner to eat him, I guess, and he would fail every time. And he'd get wrecked every time. So he'd either get burnt up or he'd get squashed by a train or he'd fall off a cliff or there's the anvil. Like, something hectic would happen every single time and yet the next episode would pop up and he keeps going. He really wants to catch that roadrunner. I don't even know what a roadrunner is, but he really wanted it, right? Paul is a bit like Wile E. Coyote, (laughs) He's got a task, right? He's got a task in his mind, a task that he's been set, and no matter what happened last time, famine, jail, shipwreck, people chasing him out of the city, people trying to kill him, no matter what's happening, he just gets up and keeps on going because he insists on obeying Jesus at all costs. No matter what, he insists that he's going to keep going. And so Christians, copy Paul. Follow Paul into suffering for Jesus. Now, you might think that this is a specific thing for Paul, maybe, right? I can't expect to suffer for Jesus. That's, you know, here's what Paul says in a letter to a friend, how to play spike ball. <laughs> we might definitely try and get rid of that one. Looking forward to the video later, though. It's going to be a cracker. Here we go. Right? You might think that you can't be expected to suffer for Jesus. That was a Paul thing. That was an early thing. Here's what Paul says in a letter to his friend. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. And here's the thing for us. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You're a part of everyone. Do you want to live a godly life? Do you want to be a Christian? Do you want to follow Jesus? You will be persecuted. It's not a probably, it's a promise. It's not a maybe, it's a definite. Are you willing to do that? Are you ready to do that? You don't know when it's going to come. But Paul was clearly ready for it, right? We just read all the things he just went through. The disciples were ready for it. Do you know the fate of the disciples, what happened to them? Six were crucified, like Jesus. Three were beheaded. One was beaten to death with a stick. One was killed with a spear. And the last one was exiled and died in prison. The closest followers of Jesus. That was their life. That was their end. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will suffer for it. 
It's not a probably, it's a promise. And that's because the one who we follow was the one who suffered the most. So it's not surprising. In Luke chapter 9, this is what Jesus says about himself, right? In verse 22, the Son of Man, that's Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Jesus suffered most of all, the one we follow. He was killed for sins he didn't commit, taking on the full anger and wrath of God in your place so that you could be forgiven. And so what does it look like to be a follower of that person? What does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? This is what he says in the very next verse. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. The leader suffered, so will his followers. The master suffered, so will his servants. To be a follower of Jesus, you have to be expecting to suffer. You have to. And, this, and that concept, that thing is the exact reason why the prosperity gospel is so rubbish. The prosperity gospel, if you haven't heard of it, is a type of Christianity, right? Where, where it says that if you become a Christian, you'll be cured of your sickness. If you come to Jesus, you'll be wealthy. You'll be healthy. It's rampant. It's everywhere across our world. It's on the coast. It's everywhere. And it's absolute rubbish. And you need to look out for it. How can, do this with me. How can the gospel lead to wealth and health when its leader, Jesus, was homeless, betrayed, tortured and murdered? How can the gospel lead to wealth and health when its closest followers, the apostles, the disciples, were either shipwrecked, abandoned, beheaded, killed with stones, hated throughout the whole world? The prosperity gospel is disgusting. It's a joke. It's a complete misunderstanding of what Christianity is. You need to look out for it because it's everywhere. Because everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not will be healthy, not will be wealthy. Will be persecuted. Friends, do your friends and family know that you're a Christian? This is a step, right? This is a step for some of us. Or do you hide it sometimes, which it can be easy to do, so that they don't think you're weird? But Paul never hid his love and obedience for Jesus. Not once. Not once. Make sure people know you're a Christian. For some of you, you know full well, 100%, that if you tell your friends or your family about Jesus, they will not like you, that you will not be popular. What does it look like to imitate Paul as he imitates Jesus in that scenario? Looks like doing it anyway. Looks like doing it even though it's hard, even though you will suffer... It's worth it. Copy Paul. You cannot strive for popularity and be a Christian. You cannot strive for popularity and be a Christian. They don't work together. Follow Paul as he follows Jesus. Suffer for Jesus. And so Paul got wrecked a lot. I think we caught that, right? But I think the question behind it all is why? Why does he keep getting up? Just cop it. Just stop. Why does he keep going no matter what? Here's why. Paul knew the future. Paul knew the future. Because it's easy to get through things that are real hard, right, when you know something good's coming after. That's a pretty common thing. So when you're a kid, it was always eat your veggies, eat your broccoli, and you get your ice cream, right? Lauren still tries to try that one on me sometimes, and I will not eat my broccoli. I hate broccoli. It's disgusting. I'm not going to do it, right? Well, there's other things as well. You know, you go to the gym, it hurts, but 
you feel good after it and you get healthy from it. That's good. Or, you know, you study hard, studying sucks, but you get better marks, so you do it. We get this concept, right? And Paul operates with that exact same mindset as he does everything that he does. Come with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. It's a couple of books before the 2 Corinthians chunk we were just in. Now, in Romans, at this point, Paul's been talking about how we as Christians have an inheritance, something epic that we're going to get, right? Something good. And in verse 17, he says this, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. So being an heir means you're getting the inheritance, you're getting something good. If, indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we, we may share in his glory. And here's where he says it, ready? I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. See what he's saying there? Christians have glory to come. They've got the inheritance, they've got the good stuff to come. Eternal life in the presence of our Saviour Jesus, that's coming. In a new world with no pain, no sickness, no mourning, no death, in glory, as the glory. And so anything that happens in this life, Paul says, it's not even, it's not even worth comparing to it. Now, he's not saying that bad stuff doesn't happen. Paul's under no impression that no bad stuff happens or that, that bad stuff that happens is okay because there's stuff to come. No, there's genuine suffering and evil in our world and it's not okay. It's not okay. We get sick. Our relationships break down. Families break down. People we love are hurt, pass away, and God hates it. He hates suffering in our world. He hates evil in our world. It's not okay that those things happen. But Paul's saying, even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it, what's coming, compared to what's coming, all those things one day will just pale in comparison. Because glory will be that good. Heaven will be that good. That even when we can't feel it now, one day we'll know that all the stuff that happened here pales in comparison. It's how good glory is going to be. And so Paul is able to live his life suffering for Jesus at every single turn because he knew that his present sufferings are not worth, compare, not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in him. He knew that so much that he, he was fine with suffering. He was content, he would say. He would rejoice. Knowing what's coming was the thing that kept Paul going, the thing that drove him to do every single thing that he did. And he spent his life suffering so that other people would get that glory too. He didn't just do it for him, he wanted other people to get in on it. Because not everyone's going to heaven. Those who trust in Jesus will, those who don't, won't. Paul got that really clearly. And Paul's heart broke for people who didn't know Jesus, because he knew what was awaiting them. In Philippians 3, he would say, For I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. And so he spent his whole life obeying Jesus and telling others to do the same accept the forgiveness that he offers, right? He wants people to be right with God. And so if, you, if you're here with us and you're new, love, you're here, keep coming back. We want you to be right with God. Because not everyone is. 
And so I implore you, on his behalf, come back to God. Jesus has given you a way. Christians aren't better than anyone. They've just accepted the only way to be saved in Jesus. Do that. He's taken everything you've ever done wrong, everything you ever will, and he's taken the punishment for it. It's gone if you trust in him. No guilt, no shame anymore. It's epic. You see, Paul's clarity on the future, what's coming, the glory that's coming, shaped his whole life. It meant that he could suffer and be okay with it because he knew what was coming. He knew it was coming. And it meant that he did everything and anything he could to see others get there too. And so to follow Paul's example, means Christians, we, we got to be excited for heaven. We've got to be really excited about it. Are you? Because if I'm honest, I'm not always. I catch myself so often not being excited for heaven. I forget how good it's going to be there. I, I don't trust the promises enough to think it's going to be that good. That's me sometimes. And I notice that the times that I'm most effective are the times when I'm stinging for heaven. That's when you go hardest for Jesus. And so how do you do that? Here's two quick ways, right? We remind ourselves of how good heaven's going to be by reading the Bible. It's so simple. But it works, right? I've been more stoked this week for heaven than I think I ever have been just because I'm seeing how stoked Paul is for it. Just because I've been reading how good it's going to be. You've got to see what it is, and we see it by reading God's Word to us. So get into the Bible. If you can't do that, if it's really hard for you to do that, you're not alone. That's most people. Start small. Take five minutes in your day, whatever it is. Try and get into the Bible. It'll encourage you to look forward to heaven. And we do it by reminding each other as well. We do it by reminding each other. How many conversations do you reckon you have a week where you're talking to your mate about how they're going living for Jesus? How many? If you're anything like me, it's not enough. Because I don't think I do it that often. We've got to help each other sting for heaven. We've got to help each other to long for home. So try this, right? Try that next week, chat to one of your mates. How are you going living for Jesus? Chat to one of your mates. How are you going longing for heaven? Chat to, someone, chat to one of your mates tonight. You'll be surprised, you'll be amazed at how much that can do. Do massive things. There's one, right? To follow Paul's example is to do everything you can to advance the gospel with your life. There was not an inch of Paul's life that wasn't obsessed with seeing people either doing one of two things, either being one for Jesus, becoming Christians, or or making sure they stayed in Jesus and knowing him more. All of his life is one of those two things. And that's why he's going hard with the Corinthians, we've been saying. He cares so much that they get the glory that's coming, that he'll have the hard word with them. Telling them they're being dumb when they're being dumb. Telling them to focus on Jesus when they're not focusing on Jesus. And so what's your life about? Maybe What do you most focus on? Maybe it's a future job. Maybe you're just trying to, you focus so much on the HSC so you can get the marks you want, so you can get the job you want. Maybe it's a relationship. You're so keen to have a boyfriend or girlfriend or, or keep that relationship going. Maybe you're really keen to get married. Maybe it's fun. Maybe you love your sport and you're really keen to just focus on that or, or hanging with mates or, or you can't wait to travel the world and see all the spots. And these are not bad things. They're really cool things, right? They're gifts from God. They're really good. But if you focus your life around any of them, 
You've wasted your life. Because when eternity's here, literally none of them are going to matter. There was this guy, right? He, um, he, had, an, he had a sporting career. He was a, he was a really good cricketer. In England, he had heaps of money from it, and one day he gave it all up to become a missionary in Africa. So he zoomed off to Africa and he did that. Why would someone do that? This is what he said. I'm sure you've heard it. Only one life, it'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. So his money, he can't take it with him. It won't last. His sport, he can't take it with him. It won't last. His, his notoriety, he can't take it with him. At what, it won't last. But the people that he shares the gospel with, who come to trust in Jesus, that'll last. They'll go with him. And so what can you do in your life to see the biggest impact for Jesus? Ask yourself that question. What, what can you do that will win the most people for Jesus? What can you do that will, that will mature people in Jesus? You will not get to heaven and wish that you'd committed more of your life to sport. You won't. You, you won't get to heaven and wish you'd gotten a better HSC mark. You just won't. You won't get to heaven and wish you'd worked more or saved more. You won't get to heaven and wish that you'd seen more of the world and traveled more. None of those things are true. You will get to heaven and wish that you'd done more with your life. We'll all get to heaven and wish we'd spent it telling more people about Jesus, seeing them grounded in Jesus. And so what can you do with your life to make the biggest impact? What can you do that will last? I think it's going to look differently for all of us. We've all got different gifts, things like that, right? Um, What are you going to give it to? What are you going to give your focus to? Can I encourage you, if you follow Jesus, start by serving. Start by being involved in some type of ministry. Start by giving to things that will last. For some of you, it's going to look like doing full-time ministry. Being able to give your life to just be solely focused on doing the work of Jesus as much as you can without the distraction of work. Some of you should be thinking about doing that. We need more people too. But for all of us, we need to tell more people about Jesus. Together, we need, I need to do that. Together, we need to do that. Because we know what's to come and others don't. We know that there's an eternity to come where people are going to spend eternity in one of two places. And we know that there's teens on the coast who don't trust in Jesus. There are 40,000 teenagers on the coast. 40,000. Most of them are not in solid Bible churches. Less than a percent. My dream is more of them are. We'll start with 10%. We'll start with filling this place. Not so that we look good, not so it's cooler to come here because it's full, but because if we can fill this place with teens hearing about Jesus, that's 1,100 people hearing about Jesus every Friday. Do you know how they're going to get here? It's from you. It's not from me. And it's not from your leaders. If we want to see an impact on the coast for people coming to Jesus, you're the ones who have to do it. You're the ones who have friends that you can tell about Jesus. You're the ones who can invite your friends here. If we want to see an impact on the coast for Jesus, you're the ones. 
You can make a massive splash in history. That's incredible. Nothing else you can do really is going to do that. Sorry to break it to you. Maybe a couple of you, I don't know. You can make a splash in eternity by inviting people, by telling them about Jesus. That's incredible. It will last because it's for Christ. Paul's whole life was on about eternity. Here's some of his last words. We'll finish on this. This is what he said to a mate. I'm, re- I'm already being poured out like a drink offering and the time of my departure is near his death. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. What an encouragement Paul is, hey? What a good example he is for us to follow. Such a good picture of what it means to follow Jesus. So my prayer for you guys, my prayer for me, we'd follow Paul better. We'd follow Jesus better. Let me pray with me now.